It's September 18th, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we cover the geek beat here on Hawaii Public Radio. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Brian Butling to tell us about the upcoming Startup Weekend Roundup. Finally, we'll get some do's and don'ts about running a successful Kickstarter campaign. Have your questions and thoughts ready to call in or tweet, but first the headlines. Well, NASA's Voyager 1 space probe launched 36 years ago last week is now the first man-made object to leave our solar system. And while it's too far away from Earth and the sun to be seen with optical telescopes, its radio signal is still detectable. Astronomers using the Very Long Baseline Array, a network of powerful radio telescopes that includes an observatory atop Mauna Kea, confirmed that Voyager 1 had reached interstellar space and imaged its faint radio signal as a small blue dot. The image, captured in February but released by NASA last week, shows a slightly oblong blue dot that's half an arc second long in diameter. That's about as small as a penny being observed from two and a half miles away. Voyager 1 is expected to continue its journey away from our solar system for at least another decade. Its systems are primitive by today's standards, supporting a fraction of the amount of memory, for example, that's found in a basic smartphone. And its transmitting antenna emits just 22 watts, about the same amount of power as a refrigerator light bulb. Even so, its signal is relatively bright compared to some of the very distant objects studied by radio telescopes. The Very Long Baseline Array links 10 25-meter telescope antennas to form one enormous virtual telescope. The baseline spanning over 5,000 miles, the VLBA, has the sharpest image of any telescope on Earth or in space. Now, you know, what's kind of interesting was that they had um, thought that Voyager had already left the solar system and out in interstellar space uh, probably about a year ago. But then I guess they finally found, you know, and detected the signal, and and, and that was uh, what was kind of, um, you know, depicted in that uh, optical image. Well, that and, of course, there's a debate as to where that edge is. Where is the line mm-hmm. that is the end of our solar system? But they're pretty sure now, in fact, they were kind of playing on the news, I recall, some audio of that distorted signal coming back, kind of representing some of the interference that it's getting now that it's beyond that boundary. But I, I, I like the way they describe it. You know, it's like looking at a penny from two and a half miles away. The other way that they describe the power of this array telescope was that it's like you can stand in New York and read a newspaper in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. Is, these are pretty very strong instruments, even though the VLBA has been around since 1993. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just, uh, relatively speaking, amazing how the kind of technology that went into the Voyager and what we have in our you know, Pockets, smartphones, right. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really... Uh, quite a number of orders of magnitude more complex, but it's still, you know, testament to our technology way back when, when Voyager was passing Jupiter and Neptune and gave us some great images, and now it's, you know, out at the... uh, you know, beyond the solar system. Well, the interesting thing is that Voyager 2 was launched the same year, um, and it was aimed at uh, Uranus and Neptune. Mm-hmm. It was Voyager 1 that did Jupiter and Saturn, and at that point, its primary mission was done. So now we're just, I imagine, we'll, the next headline will be when Voyager 2 crosses that, that, that threshold. threshold. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, if you've noticed an airplane circling over Oahu with a bright, flickering green light shining downward, you're not alone. Island residents posted several sightings to Reddit and urged local media to investigate. The plane is being flown by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers as part of its National Coastal Mapping Program, and the green laser, known as LIDAR, allows it to build a detailed survey of the state's shorelines and waterways. LIDAR allows the creation of detailed 3D maps and with multiple surveys allows the study of the environment over time. The airborne system can penetrate up to 50 feet of water depth and gets up to 30 centimeters of vertical accuracy. 
The current survey is actually the second round of the mapping program. Uh, the first conducted in 2007, the plane flies at 8,000 feet, focusing on a swath of extended that extends about 1,000 meters offshore and 500 meters inland, collecting information on sand and sediment to ensure safe coastal navigation. This year's Hawaii survey, covering Oahu this week and moving on to the neighbor islands, includes more inland targets. They're also collecting data useful for studying the spread of invasive species, the health of wetlands, and environmental recovery following natural disasters. Hawaii News Now reported on Monday that the FAA's rules is why the planes are flying at night over Oahu, but the rest of the islands can be surveyed during the day, and these flights are expected to run through November. Well, you know, LIDAR stands for light radar, and unlike a point uh, laser where, you know, if you shine a point laser at somebody, you could damage their retina, um, this, this light radar is kind of a spread of light, uh, but uh, evidently you can actually see it on the ground if it's passing by you. Well, when I first heard about it, it was on Reddit, and people were like, has anybody noticed this plane? It flew over Waikiki, it flew over Manoa, and in fact, you could actually look down at the ground if it was scanning your particular area, and you see the green light mm-hmm, on the ground, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, that would totally freak me out, but fortunately, it was just this data. Well, I'm surprised there weren't like a whole bunch of UFO <laughs> sightings and call-ins, you know, and yeah, That's right. I, I would have been excited to watch that as well. But it's you know the Army Corps of Engineers they actually manage over a thousand navigation structures, and of course the ones they're looking at in Hawaii are like the breakwaters, uh, like the one off Oahu or Lapahoehoe. So they're checking on their health and their ability to, you know, be be structurally sound over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, ocean uh, acidification, the rising concentration of carbon dioxide in the Earth's oceans, has been the focus of countless scientific studies in recent years. But its real-world effects are already being felt by some communities and industries. A special investigative series by the Seattle Times this week highlighted the Goose Point Oyster Company, based in Washington State, but now operating an oyster farm in Hilo. The Times described the company as an ocean acidification refugee. Carbon dioxide pollution from fossil fuel emissions have made the waters of Washington's Willapa Bay inhospitable to Pacific oysters, impairing their offshore growth and even killing larvae in onshore hatcheries. Rising oyster mortality was actually observed as early as 2005, but it took the seafood industry several years to acknowledge it as a crisis. Goose Point Oyster Company founder Dave Nisbet told The Times that he spent a million dollars to move half of his production to Hawaii. The 20,000-square-foot shellfish hatchery in Hilo allows the company to raise oysters from sea to first shell before shipping them back to Washington to grow. Hatcheries in the Pacific Northwest, by comparison, lost 60% of their production, sometimes closing for weeks at a time. Nesbeth told the Times, I don't care if you think it's the fault of humans or not. If you want to keep your head in the sand, that's up to you. But the rest of us need to get it together because we're not out of the woods yet on this thing. And basically, you know, the young oysters uh, were not able to basically, you know, do a, the process of creating their shells. So, because the yeah, oysters are removing the minerals right, right. from the water. And, and um, so they, you know... We all have barbecues. We all get our oysters, and and you know, at a certain point now, we're probably going to be uh, seeing a a reduction in the supply of oysters, and and this is part of it. And you know, the interesting thing about this, uh, we we talk about uh, uh, ocean acidification, and and this is a 
an industry that's being impacted, uh, you know, up in Seattle, up in Washington, and it's going to have an impact on, you know, us as far as, uh, as, far as our oyster well, supply. Well, this specific area supplies a quarter of the nation's mm-hmm. oysters, and the other thing that they brought up is that this level of ocean acidification is just the first edge of a continuing rise that they expect to continue to go up for the next 20, 30, 50 years, so it's not even anywhere near as bad as it's going to get. Right. And uh, I, I would really recommend people check out this series the Seattle Times is doing. You can go to seattletimes.com slash sea change and, you know, just seeing the impact on this one industry in mm-hmm. this one bay and thinking how else it can affect other industries in other places. And again, you know, they're just seeing the effects of this acidification much earlier than they anticipated them ever surfacing. Mm-hmm. So very good stuff. Blue Startups, a technology accelerator launched last year with state funding, has announced its second slate of startup companies. The seven startups began the 13-week mentorship and investment program last week. The companies were selected from a competitive field of over 200 applicants, and one team earned its slot as a wild card pick selected by Blue Startups founder and serial entrepreneur Hank Rogers. Among the members of the fall 2013 class are Happy Hour Pal, an app and website that helps users find great local food and drink deals, and Sea Rescue, which has designed a simple way to improve open ocean rescue operations. Both have been featured here on Bite Marsh Cafe. The other companies are Gibby, a lost pet tracking service, Workers on Call, which connects employers with workers around the world, XMAP, a real-world treasure hunt uh, application, and SIF Tools, which specializes in real-time polling and analysis. Hank's Wildcard is a team of four entrepreneurs that will develop and execute a business plan selected for them by Rogers. Blue Startups uses the mentor-driven accelerator model popularized by Techstars and is now part of the Global Accelerator Network. Chinoa Farnsworth, managing director of Blue Startups, said in a statement, We are inclined to build Hawaii's technology platform in order to further its reputation as a startup Paradise. Yeah, and this, uh, you know, this uh, cohort of of uh, startups are are interesting. I mean, you know, we covered a little bit of uh, Happy Hour Pal, and and uh, kudos to them for you know getting selected, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as well as Sea Rescue. We've had uh, Rob Yanover come on and talk about you know the uh, the. In fact, he had the the um, he unfurled unfurled it, and we love the sound effects. And <laughs> of course, uh, you know, it's good to see him getting some recognition. And then of course, uh, Sift Tools is uh, another friend of ours, uh, um, Alex uh, Burgo, and he's. Uh, you know, been working on on uh, this idea since graduating, getting his PhD uh, from uh, UH. So, you know, good slate of folks. And some of them are local. Some of them are from the mainland. Um, GB or GB, the mm-hmm. lost pet service. Um, I think they're based actually in California, but they're going through this program here. Um, just this week, they were also named a finalist in a uh, national competition that Walmart is doing called Get on the Shelf. Oh, and cool. so if they make that if they win that contest or, you know, they at least do very well in it, then there's a possibility that their product would be stocked at Walmart, mm-hmm. which, which is certainly a big deal for them. But, yeah, all companies that participate in the uh, accelerator get $20,000 upfront investment. Uh, they say up to 600000 in-kind, and that includes access to the uh, the space in Harbor Court, right, the, right. the skybox they're calling it. But um, Blue Startups does take an equity stake in the company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, when they uh, you know, sort of graduate from their, I think it's like a, a three or four month uh, yeah, uh, in- weeks. internship. Uh, we'll probably have a couple of them come on and talk about uh, their experience. And we'd love to hear more about you know these companies that are uh, getting sort of their kickstart from uh, 
uh, from Blue Startups. Finally, a couple of quick stories I wanted to share with you. Oceanic, Ti- uh, Oceanic Time Warner Cable last week announced that they are expanding and rebranding their network of Roadrunner Speed Zone Wi-Fi locations to create TWC Wi-Fi. Oceanic residential and business internet customers will be able to access over 400 hotspots around Oahu, including recent additions at Sunset Beach and Kailua District Park. For, mem- for more information, you can visit www.twc.com slash Wi-Fi. And on the tech calendar, next week brings the September Tech Tuesday event at Hawaii Tech Works in Hilo. It'll be the sixth meetup for this Big Island group and will feature presentations by Cody Anderson of Bolo Graphics and Tech Works Executive Director Anthony Marzi. For more information on this and other events, you can visit hawaiitechworks.org or to RSVP, you should email community at hawaiitechworks.org. And keeping up with our friends over at Startup Weekend, we're now joined here in the studio with uh, Brian Butling, and he's here to tell us about Startup Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, it's great. a pleasure to be here. So now uh, I'll give you the chance to tell us a little bit about what Startup Weekend Roundup is. I mean, we, we normally talk about Startup Weekend and, you know, we talk about uh, when the event is. Uh, but what is this uh, Startup Weekend Roundup? So the idea came around um, I, actually a, a couple of months ago. Uh, as you know, the we, we had a transition. Um, Danielle Sherman, who brought Startup Weekend mm-hmm. out here, who's been a huge, huge supporter and just really the catalyst of Startup Weekend out here, um, decided to step down and uh, chose me as to be her predecessor. So I decided to take the reins. And uh, I, we, we didn't want to jump in just directly. Uh, we wanted to sort of hold off and see what we can do with it. And so we decided to come up with uh, an event, um, something to sort of celebrate the last two years uh, of what Startup Weekend has done and sort of look to the future. Mm-hmm. And it just happened that John Beadle, who is now the regional uh, manager for Up Global, um, is going to be out here um, around that same time. Um, so it's going to be next week, Tuesday. And it just worked out perfect. So he's going to be our head speaker and he's going to talk a lot about the initiative of Up Global and what Startup Weekend Global is going to be doing with that and how Hawaii is going to get involved with that. Um, so it's a lot, a lot of great things that are going to be happening. Um, and and the, the other thing is there's so much people that are interested that want to be a part of Startup Weekend or even part of, like you mentioned, Blue Startups earlier and just want to be entrepreneurs that they're still sort of hesitant on what, what to do. And this is another opportunity for them to get involved, uh, meet the people, meet the people out there who are really pushing this uh, entrepreneurial community that's growing out here. Uh, it's a free event, which mm-hmm. always helps. Mm-hmm. Um, hosted, and it's. It, I'm bringing a lot of people out from the digital world. Um, there's, you know, the Hawaii uh, startups. There's startup Aloha startups. Aloha startups. Aloha startups. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a startup digest where we have writers out here, um, and I'm bringing them all to the forefront and actually branding them all, giving them a face to rec- to go with what they're doing out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it's 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 a lot of things. Um, that's going to happen. So, so having the kind of the baton be handed over from Danielle over to you. I mean, do you have some ideas on how the program will sort of evolve or change or develop? Uh, you know, because of the sort of the the change in management. Yeah, yeah. So there's not. I mean, we're not going to change too much. Um, one thing that we are, we, we what we'd like to do is have more of a fine niched theme. Uh, for a startup uh, weekend event, mm-hmm. so in the past we've uh, we've looked to do two startup weekends per year, and while those are great, um, it's uh, we felt it's just too much to happen hmm. uh, for one year. Um, so 
what we're gonna do next year um, with our event is have you know just the general event in the beginning of the year, and then sometime towards the summer we're gonna have a niched event. So the three uh, sort of industries that we're looking at uh, is gonna be education focused, uh, tourism focused, or sustainability focused. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And while it's gonna be a smaller crowd, I think it's gonna be more niche and something more focused towards what Hawaii can really grasp on. Now for Startup Weekend Roundup, is our past participants of previous Startup Weekends kind of the, it's kind of a reunion in a way. You're bringing them yep. all back together yep. to check yep. in with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, like the, the, the big uh, the big push or, or the, the, the big uh, uh, feel-good story for Startup Weekend so far has been Tealit. So Elise mm-hmm. Peterson is obviously a huge supporter of Startup Weekend, so she's going to be down. Um, but we've also... Not only uh, reaching out to those who have won, but also people that's generally participated because uh, we want to hit the three industries. We want to hit the entrepreneurs, uh, the business people, the marketers, the designers, and the uh, programmers. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we have people from all s- industries talking um, and just giving their feedback and seeing what they got out of it. Because a lot of people just I've, – I've, I've seen so many people just grow from just participating in this simple three-day event that it's just unreal. Yeah, I've, um, and you've been involved with how many of them, uh, you know, over the past year? Um, I've actually been involved with two here locally, and then my first one was up in uh, Mountain View. Mm-hmm. So I took the plunge over at uh, Mega Startup Weekend. Uh, that was about like I think two to three hundred people. And uh, if anybody wants to uh, take part in in the actual Startup Weekend uh, event, give us a little, a real quick uh, synopsis of what Startup Weekend is all about. Startup Weekend is a fifty-four hour event. Uh, where we bring together uh, facets of industries from um, engineers, designers, uh, entrepreneurs to get together and form uh, businesses or teams around uh, ideas and try to launch them by the end of the weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so to hopefully go on to to uh, such uh, applications as Blue Startups. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit more about this featured speaker, I guess? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the uh, John Beadle. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, so John Beadle is part of UpGlobal. So UpGlobal... Uh, earlier this year was created by the partnering of Startup Weekend and Startup America. Um, there's this huge initiative to bring both of them together, and it's just using everyone's resources. Um, and to me, I, I think it's it's awesome. Everyone's coming together and really focusing on building communities around you know startups. Right. Great. Yeah. Great. So, uh, give us uh, give us the uh, details of where, when, and uh, of course you yeah. said it's free, so that you know that's, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, so it is free again. Um, it's going to be September 24th, uh-huh. Tuesday, over at our good friends, the Box Jelly. Uh-huh. Um, it's going to be from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, the first 45 minutes to an hour, we're allowing for networking. Um, it's going to be free hosted uh, drinks and food. So, again, free drinks Sounds and like food, Sounds like the capacity everybody. crowd to me right there. Yeah. <laughs> d- did I hear that correctly? Free th- Drinks and food? Yes. Ah, sounds good. So <laughs> 6 o'clock, uh, box jelly, great. So, And you're just putting out the call to everybody and anybody who's interested in yep. doing a- Yep, anyone, if you ever had an idea, if you're, you know, just daydreaming at work, at your, you know, nor- normal nine to five, and I'm like, hey, this would be a good idea. Come on down. I invite you. Because uh, really, it's just, it's something that I, I just wish 
everyone could experience. Yeah, no, great stuff. I mean, uh, uh, Startup Weekend is a great sort of feeder into the old, the whole entrepreneur and, and startup uh, environment. So I think it's a great program. Thanks, Brian, for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys for having me. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Lorenz Laudowitz and Mike Bond to talk about Kickstarter. What are some of the do's and don'ts of a Kickstarter campaign? We'd, of course, love your questions or thoughts as part of the conversation as well. So please give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're also monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Financial news changes by the very minute. Domestic and global markets are crazy. China's not about to move away from buying U.S. Treasuries. The European Central Bank wading into the Spanish and Italian government bond market today. The whole debt ceiling debate made us look dysfunctional. We all know that. That's okay, though, because we're here. Marketplace, it's the business show for the rest of us. It's from APM, American Public Media. Weekdays at 6 p.m. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Next time on New Dimensions, British biologist Rupert Sheldrake looks beyond the dogmas and constricting beliefs of modern science and introduces his revolutionary book, Science Set Free. Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Lorenz Laudowitz and Mike Bond. And Lorenz came on the show almost two years ago with his Kickstarter project called Juicies. Mike, meanwhile, has had four successful Kickstarter projects and one currently funding called the TI2 Parabiner Biner. Uh, that's already at $110,000 of over the $10,000 asking. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's what's, ha- um, of course, uh, what happens after you get the money, and is anybody keeping track on what your timeline is? Of course, we'll get to all the details of actually running a successful Kickstarter, and of course, we'll love your questions if you're interested in in uh, plunging into this uh, crowdfunding uh, environment. Of course, the number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu. Or one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. Lorenz and Mike, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. How you doing? Nice to be here. Thank you. Great. Good to see you guys again. Welcome back. Well, Lorenz, uh, you know, it's been two years. And, of course, when we first had you on, uh, you know, we were talking about Juicy's and the, the novel idea. I thought it was a great idea about, you know, doing these uh, colored uh, power cables for the uh, iPhone and I- iPad. Um, but, uh, you know, give us a little bit of background. I want to I have you both tell us a little bit about your sort of initial foray into Kickstarter and what got you, got you started. And, and uh, Lawrence, let's start with you. Well, it's been a long ride, let's put it that <laughs> way. Um, we had ups and downs, that's for sure, with the last project. And, um, but it's been absolutely fantastic. It was the perfect timing um, in the sense of that we just did it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't easy, but it primed us for what we're doing now. So uh, okay, so we you did the uh, the color cables, Mike. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the whole, you know, Kickstarter environment. Um, sure, we, we were looking at some other projects on there, and we were looking to um, kind of generate some kind of an undercurrent of products to sell and generate money. Um, so we saw some simple projects, and we wanted to start really simple. So we did the uh, torque bottle opener, and that was our first project, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, not as successful as we'd hoped. So we jumped on. 
we were looking at the uh, other pen projects that were on at the time, and it was like a eureka moment. You know, there's nobody doing a titanium pen on Kickstarter yet. Um, so we scrambled and got one ready and put it on there, and it, it really took off. It was really exciting. So, so backing up a bit, when you talk about the uh, the, the, the Tark uh, bottle opener, when you say it wasn't successful, what is it? What does that mean? I mean, you got funded, right? So you got money that you had <clears throat> requested, and uh, you know it, it was enough for perhaps right. whatever you were budgeting to get the project sure. off the ground. What was it that you considered not to be successful with that one? Um, I, well, I think it was just a. I think that would. It's a comparison to some of the other um, projects that had funded around that time, same time frame. So we had some expectations, and we put a lot of effort into it. We made really fun videos. We mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. people coming in helping us edit the videos and marketing the product and stuff. And uh, you know, for all that effort, didn't it wasn't quite as what we expected to get in return from it. Um, it's a it's a great brand and it still sells well. It was um, featured in the Men's Journal just recently. So they felt that it was a nice enough product to have on their magazine. Yeah, I, I saw it. It was great. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Now, on our show, we've covered other Kickstarter campaigns. It's basically crowdfunding. It's saying, I have an idea, and you can help me make this a reality, uh, and you may or may not get the results of what you're backing if I'm successful. And you have Kickstarter. You have Indiegogo. There are other platforms, of course. And there's now the idea of a flexible funding version. So with Kickstarter, for example, if you say, I want $50,000 to design a new hat, um, but I only raised $48,000 through the Kickstarter then everybody keeps their money. Nothing actually happens. But now I think Indiegogo is very popular because they say, well, if you ask for 50000 and you get 48000 we'll just give you that 48000 Whatever you raise, you can still actually keep. Now, Mike, I was wondering if you kind of evaluated these different models, if there were advantages or disadvantages. I mean, uh, was Kickstarter always the best platform for what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think so. The Indiegogo was kind of new when we started, and now we have a following, and most of it's uh, through Kickstarter. So... Um, kind of a creature of habit, and we mm-hmm. just continue to to push. A lot of the backers stay there with us too, so we right. notice we do updates on our new on our old projects about new projects, and we find those are big pushes for us. So we get a lot of people coming over and consistently supporting us. Now, what I what I like about Kickstarter is that you can see what your friends are backing. So I don't even know how I would find out about a new project, but if I see Bert funded the laser beam beanie, then I might be interested in funding the laser <laughs> beam beanie as well. Right. But um, I didn't want anybody to know that, right? <laughs> well, both of your projects, Lorenz and Mike, are manufacturing projects. You know, sometimes people try to fund a website, an album, mm. uh, you know, some kind of project, a video, a film. But in your case, the end result is supposed to be a product that somebody brings home. Um, now, Lorenz, uh, you had this brilliant idea to, to just make cables of different colors. Um, you had asked for, I, I can't remember, what was your original target? It was rather silly. It was $5,000 at that time, but production was about 20 times as much. That's what I However, to, I didn't know that. Well, that's what I was about to ask you. So you thought, well, I can get this thing going with just $5,000. And wow, after you came on our show and all the listeners jumped up, you raised $22,000 instead of just the five you were asking for. But what you learned is that even the 22000 was nowhere near what you needed to do, what you wanted to do. We raised a little over 23000 at that time. And um, the project initially was all about being able to take away time from regular work to focus on this project. Mm-hmm. So that was really the $5,000 that I was mm-hmm. thinking about. And all along I had this idea of that I was going to need more money to put into this. I was thinking I was going to put my own money and maybe somebody else's money into it. So I was aware of that. However, at that time I wasn't aware of how hard that might be. But in the end of the day, everything did turn out really good. It just took much longer than we initially expected. 
Now, when you when you first came up with the five thousand, what was that based on? I mean, and you kind of said that you know it was amount of time that you might need to do it outside of work, but was there any other, let's say, um, cost involved or, or budgeting involved that involved other types of uh, outside costs that needed to go into building this uh, this cable? At that time, it really was all about. Um focusing on the project and being able to take the time to focus on the project mm-hmm, instead of mm-hmm. um, going straight back to work. Mm-hmm. And um, I needed about $5,000 to mm-hmm. do that. So that's what I, I knew I needed. And I know without that, I wouldn't even think about doing this project. Okay, and so, so now... I had already put thousands of dollars into it at that point, you know? So Kickstarter, you got your... You put your request out there, you asked for 5000 You got you got twenty. Uh, now what do you do? So you got the money, what do you do? Well, um, maybe we can, instead of talking about a project from two and a half years ago, we fast forward to today and we look at the project that we got live now. Mm-hmm. So if you go to kickstarter.com right now, you just search Honolulu. The first project you'll see will be ours. Mm-hmm. It's called Juicy's Plus. It's um, rather different from what we did before, but it's in the same category. So it's charging cables for iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, and Windows phones. Um, we are doing the same thing in the sense of we're doing cables since we already know what it means to do these cables. We're thinking of a bunch of other products in that you know, past two years now. However, we knew this is something we really do know how to tackle, and we also know what the costs involved are. Mm-hmm. So we felt it was a great time to improve upon that, especially with the timing of the release of the new iPhone coming out. And um, it's been a lot of work up until now, just priming you know, the project, getting description ready, getting samples ready, and doing all that kind of work. However, from the time that we hit that launch button on Kickstarter, we decided we're going to focus on nothing but the project being live. We're talking to Lawrence Lauterwicks and Mike Bond about running Kickstarter campaigns. And if you've ever thought of crowdfunding a project or a product, if you want to get some advice or hear more stories, you can give us a call here at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. We're also listening on Twitter. Um, So, Mike, one of the things that uh, was starting to happen in Kickstarter was that not all funded campaigns were successful, and people were starting to get a little restless. You know, there's sort of this rush of euphoria. Wow, you give this person money, he'll come up with a cool idea. You give this person money, he'll come up with a cool idea. Mm-hmm. That, But it got to the point where some of these didn't work out, so Kickstarter had to even write up a, a post that basically said, hey, Kickstarter is not a store. You know, That's right. you, you might give some amount of money, but there is no guarantee you're going to get what you were promised. Yeah, there's been there's been a lot of talk about that. I mean, it's all over the comments. Um, I've backed a bunch of projects that haven't then been delivered yet, but I still think they're going to. Um, there's been a couple of them that have, people have just disappeared, you know. You um, hope they're going to deliver? <laughs> but I, I think, it, you know, it, it, I think that you're going to have that kind of a, a percentage of failed products with any kind of crowdsource funding. It's just inevitable. People are going to get in over their heads or they're not going to understand who to talk to in the manufacturing world. They're going to lose their money. They're going to put a deposit in, and they don't have enough of their own money to muscle through it. So, you know, I what can you say? I mean, it's just it's inevitable. Um, our focus is always to keep everything in-house. Everything is under our control for the most part. There's a couple of things that we have to outsource because we don't have the capabilities, and people want that in their products. So, I think if there's any advice to give, you know, if you can keep as much of it in-house or secure some kind of manufacturing um, entity that you can be close with and, and 
feel that you'll have good fulfillment. I think mm-hmm. that's the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you uh, when you had your your first Kickstarter and and you you wanted to do the sort of the bottle opener, uh, how did you decide where to source some of the pieces of the product that needed to be, you know, let's say manufactured or, mm-hmm. you know, I know you did it in, in a variety of different kinds of metals. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did you go about researching all of those providers? Um, well, so prior to me doing a Kickstarter project, I moved to the island. I was in the marketing. I had a, a degree in graphic design. And so when I came out here, those kinds of opportunities aren't, aren't as prevalent as in California or in New York City where I lived before. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, you know, I'm just going to do something different with my life. And I did an apprenticeship at the shop where I rent now uh, the space from. And the guy, uh, Peter Sukamoto down there, was very kind to give me, you know, uh, the apprenticeship opportunity. So I learned about all of that metallurgy and, you know, machining and stuff like that. I have an aptitude for it as well, so that helps. Kind of just comes natural. The so you're kind of a of maker guy. Yeah, I love making stuff. Always oh, uh, made stuff since I was a kid. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Cool. So I got that experience from 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 being an apprentice, mm-hmm. um, and that actually segue into being really helpful for what we call design for manufacturing. So a lot of people that I deal with in Kickstarter and elsewhere come to me, they want to have their stuff made, and you look at the, you know, the drawings or you look at the prototypes, and they're not very manufacturable friendly. So it's difficult to manufacture in standard manufacturing processes or the processes that we offer. Mm-hmm. So I've been helping a lot of people with that as well, but, but having that... Um, you know, experience apprenticing and knowing what the machines can do exactly has allowed me to create the products that we can make and manufacture easily and get them out. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike, you certainly, I would say, have that advantage of having the equipment and the tools and the ability to do the manufacturing in-house. Now, Lorenz, I think your challenge was finding all that out as you went. Now, I understand, um, and I'm a, I was a backer of the first Juicies and of the current one. I think that's very exciting. Yay, thumbs up. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it was, it was I really... It was really instructive for me to follow your project from the beginning all the way through. And, you know, learning about the manufacturer requirements and then learning about Apple's certification requirements to be able to sell it in a store, how the packaging had to be just right. And, you know, it took a lot longer than you had anticipated to the point where by the time the original design came out, they changed the plug for the iPhone. So you were able to put micro USB and make it more useful to universal devices. But I, I do want to learn, I do want to hear a little bit about that that conflict that you had to run, that you had to deal with, which is you are and never, you know, never relented in your intent to deliver, but with the long and longer and longer delay, there was a lot of frustration. I mean, how did you, how did you deal with that? There were a few sleepless nights. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something when you put yourself out in a public space like that and you take people's money, but not just, you know, their good words, that um, if you do have integrity as a person, I think you should come through. And so for me, that was sort of the driving force. I knew that there was, um, you know, almost 1,700 people. I had their money and I had their, you know, their good thoughts with me, at least good thoughts in the beginning. And I knew that I had to, you know, make up on that. And um, it took longer initially for the first project. And a big part of that was like what you touched upon, the MFI certification for the Apple certified cables, the dock connector cables that we were making at that time. Um, another big part was, you know, my goal was to make it right away in 10 colors, which I was now looking back at it. I'm like, hmm, little did I know. So other projects usually make things in one color or in two colors. For us, that immediately shot the cost up 10 times because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the MOQs for manufacturing these type of products are very, very huge. So we go over to our manufacturers in, let's say, Taiwan or in China, and um, 
usually none of these companies is ever even interested in talking to you unless you're talking about you know quantities of 10,000 or 20,000 per SKU. Now we had to start off with 10 SKUs just to start off with the dock connector cables. Then we broke it down to, because we realized, okay, these dock connector cables are really expensive because of the uh, certification and everything. We realized, okay, we need to come up with something else, especially since the lightning cable came out. So we decided to split it off and also offer the extension cables and also offer the micro-USB cables for Android and BlackBerry and Windows Phone at that time because we knew the cost might be a little bit less. Also, we might be able to do different products in the same color category. But now, they multiplied the SKUs that you had. We multiplied the SKUs, but we were able to um, order at least that cable and that color um, you know, for those particular items so that instead of just making, let's say, 10,000 yellow dock connectors, we were able to make like a few thousand for each style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, but, I, remember, I remember in the beginning, too, because when we had you on the show, you had uh, some, some sample product and, and you know, we were able to get you know, like a yellow one or orange one and a purple one. I thought maybe you already had sort of uh, a production line already established. But then I know that you had told us at that time that uh, you know there was these certifications that needed to be made and and then we were sort of following your progress and of course you've been very good about keeping people informed through the you know through Kickstarter and, and email and letting you know letting know the people the progress of, of where you're going. Uh, and then when you started to realize that you know these manufacturers in, in, in China actually required all this sort of commitment, uh, was it you know, you had already kind of used up the money, right? I mean, at that point, was it now kind of reaching into your own resources to try to fund what needed to be done for that first Juicies? Absolutely. I mean, I was already 10000 in the hole before I even hit the launch button on that project on Kickstarter. So I'd already, you know, spent a lot of time and money on mm-hmm. it. And those first, what was it, like almost, it was 23000 thousand that we got out of it or 22000 thousand that we got. And then you have the you know five percent for Kickstarter and almost five percent for Amazon that get deducted from that. So we came out with a little over nineteen that we actually ended up having, and um, it was like two months I was gone, so it wasn't really like you know. And uh, yeah, right. by the time we delivered, like I think about what twelve months, no, like you know, almost a fourteen year. months yeah, almost yeah, had gone by yeah, for that project. Yeah. And um, having learned so much from that, we know for sure that this time around will probably be like half the time because we don't have to like evaluate like another like set of six suppliers. We have our suppliers. You know, we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars with these guys. Now we know what we're doing now. So that's something that we definitely feel like is something that was a huge, 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 huge learning curve. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so if I has any advice I can give, as Mike was saying earlier, any advice you can give to people doing a project that's um, product related, mm-hmm. try to treat it sort of like an event. Um, where you do 80% of your planning in advance, and then when it comes time to like publicly launch it, you know, by Kickstarter or Indiegogo, just do that 20% of execution. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it might be much more trouble to do that, but at least you'll feel much more comfortable while you're mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do that with the last project, and um, not 100% with this one, but definitely much, much more with this project and feel much more better about it. Now, Mike, how did you decide on what the totals, I mean, how do you figure out what your goal is? Because I've I've heard other Kickstarter people saying that you want to pick a nice, delicious round number that's not too high, that's not too low. In fact, a lot of it is completely disattached from the actual cost of what you want to provide. Right. How do you set that, that goal? Um, well, I see it. For us, it's a little bit different. Um, we're looking for what kind of... Um, feedback we're going to get from the world basically in general is this product viable is there enough people that like it that we want to continue on with it post kickstarter so that's kind of what we're looking for of course we want to do a big run too because the larger the run the cost of manufacturing goes down um so 
we got a uh, we've got a really good um, supplier that we've been working with. Um, he's really a, just an amazing supplier. He gets uh, stuff from Boeing, leftovers from Boeing and stuff for titanium and stuff. And so he's been a big help for us to get these projects off the ground. Well, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about, you know, setting your goals, even de- dealing with the rewards that people get for different right. amounts of donating. And I have some of your awesome products yeah, here that we I want to talk about Yeah, we want to talk about, about well. those because those are pretty cool looking. Uh, uh, and, and, of course, we want to hear about some of the, the new projects that you guys are doing and, and want to get into a little bit of that. We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back under this short break to continue our conversation with Lawrence Lotowitz and Mike Bond about crowdfunding through Kickstarter. What are some of the lessons learned as you went through the process? And, again, what are some of the best practices that others might follow if they want to follow in their footsteps? We'd love to hear from you as well. Give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at 1-877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. In the United States, using a bicycle to get around is mostly for the young, but in Europe, it's a way of life for all ages. In the Netherlands, for example, those 65 and older make 25%, one-fourth of their trips by bicycle, while in the U.S. this is less than 1%. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason, Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. From 1929 until his death nine years later, Richard Whiting wrote more than 50 hit songs. This is Michael Lasser. Join me for Fascinating Rhythm and the 1930 songs of Richard Whiting. Sunday at 4 p.m. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Lawrence Lodowicz and Mike Bond about the lessons learned from product launches on Kickstarter. And, of course, uh, is Kickstarter a good way to fund your company? You can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, Mike, I want to ask you. Uh, you've you know you have a project now. It's already been closed because uh, I think as of like maybe about three or four days ago, Saturday. you had already yeah you you had already met your goal and it, that was the um, sort of reached the deadline. Now the interesting thing about yours is that uh, it's a it's a cool it's a, a TI two uh, uh, parabiner and it's like a, it's like the Swiss Army knife of, of carabiners and is a whole. I mean, I'm going to have you describe it. Uh, but what was interesting to me was that. You had originally requested $10,000, and I want to hear what mm. that $10,000 would have gone toward, mm. but you actually got like $111,000, right. and that's great. Now, what are you going to do with the extra $100,000? Is that like party what? time? Or? Yeah, it's all scalable for us, right? So mm-hmm. um, we have a vendor that we've been using, and he's, he's very open to scaling, so um, we can buy a little uh, material or a lot. I guess um, you know the ten thousand dollar mark tell us tells us that it's a viable product in in society. People want it, so that's why we have to set some kind of a benchmark to help determine it. There's products out there that they have the same ten thousand dollar mark and they don't make it, so you just walk away. We always call it rolling the dice. You know, mm-hmm. where's your project going to go? Um, so that's 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 why the ten thousand. So one hundred and ten. We were hoping to do a six figure project. That's what our, our goal has been for the last couple of projects, and we've been really trying to push that, push the design, do something new and different. Um, so this was it for us. We finally 
Yeah, maybe describe this as carabiner. So actually, that's the thing. When so in introducing, I didn't even know how to pronounce that word, parabiner. Um, I'm not sure what this is. It looks a little bit like a titanium honeycomb with a clip. But I mean, what's the purpose of this very awesome looking gadget? Okay, right now a lot of uh, people are interested in paracord. Um, it's a great. It's a it's a rope basically. Mm-hmm. It's rated by the strength, so they call it paracord 550 or 750, and that's the breaking um, pounds. Um, and so this is geared exactly to use with paracord. So the the PV7 model has one pulley on it. If you use two of them, you can use it in a block and tackle formation. So you can lift something. Um, say it weighs 100 pounds, it'll take a 50-pound pull to lift it. Ah, okay. The PB9 is a double tackle, so it has a a twin pulley system in it. So if you use two of those, you can do a a four-to-one mechanical advantage with it. Um, So so the paracord is really interesting because a lot of people are into that. They're making bracelets out of it and stuff. And then we moved into creating a multi-tool with it. So the 9, 7, and the 5 all designates how many wrench openings it has. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. you can get metric version or SAE version. and what do people do with ropes and parabenas? There's a lot of there's so a like big mountain uh, climbing. Or? Well, I saw your video and you were just like hoisting yourself <laughs> up, uh, up uh, you know, like a workshop. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I was using two of the PV7s in that video. If you mm-hmm. see it on there, um, there's a big survivalist movement right now. So a lot of people are, are looking for survival gear. That's I'm why we that. did the the titanium cache, um, the Sentinel X, uh, larger cache. You can store a lot of uh, survival gear in, and you can also boil water in it. That was the interesting thing about it. So you can screw the top off. It's got silicone O-rings, hard anodized. So um, fill it full of water. If your water source is unknown, you can boil it, sterilize mm-hmm, it, and it's mm-hmm. safe for drinking. Mm-hmm. Cool, so. cool. So um, so now, okay, so you got your, you got your uh, $100,000, and you said it's scalable. So your, your business, uh, TI2 Designs, uh, so you will use the money to, you know, let's say, build this parabiner. And the idea is that you can scale it in terms of uh, the quantities. Right. And... The business really is all about getting this into the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, Kickstarter has gotten you to a point where you can now perhaps uh, package this, get it into companies like REI and get it right. distributed all over the world and ultimately get your your company established so yeah. that you don't have to use a Kickstarter. Yeah, the shop that I've used, um, we've experienced a lot of growth in the last couple of years. And so we're willing to continue to keep growing Um so, like the you know you, you've got you've got material, but right now one of the things we're spending the money is is a uh, building more tumblers, building more infrastructure, so we can move through the manufacturing processes faster. Mm-hmm. So we we've been doing that with all the projects. I mean, primarily the funding goes into building infrastructure and increasing throughput, so as these projects get bigger, we can continue to perform for the backers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're really focused on that. Yeah, we're talking to Mike Bond from uh, TI Two. Designs and uh, Lorenz uh, Lodowitz from Juicies, and we're talking about Kickstarters and and getting uh, uh, getting your project crowdfunded uh, through the Kickstarter uh, campaign. And, and if you have any ideas and perhaps want to ask the experts, this is the place to call. The number here is nine four one three six eight nine, or from the neighbor islands at eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. We want to welcome John from Haiku to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Listen, I have an idea that Kickstarter might be able to help me with. It's not so much of a of a money maker. It's sort of an, a social experience. I don't mean this. This isn't left wing, right wing. It's 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 very politically neutral. I'm trying to get a hold of a, a physicist 
that I can confirm that this is actually possible, and I don't want to tell too much about it, but it's not a crackpot thing. <laughs> it would sort of be a, an experience that you'd create with a satellite, and um, it'd be very benign. And uh, I, need, I would probably need, I need to have a rocket send a material up into space. And Kickstarter is an option that I've been told might work for this. Well, uh yeah, I mean, I think thoughts. probably more Indiegogo than Kickstarter. Indiegogo, um, Indiegogo okay. has a lot less restrictions on what you can do. Kickstarter has more restrictions. Um, and Kickstarter, definitely, they're like, you need to, you need to give uh, your back or something. So if you wanted to give them a T-shirt or something like that, you mm-hmm. could do it. The Indiegogo yeah. side of it is kind of anything goes. You can raise money to send yourself to the moon or whatever you'd like to do. <laughs> and yeah, this isn't, I, I wish I could tell you guys what it is. It's, it's really a viable idea. I've been considering this for a couple of years. And it would be something tens of thousands of people could experience and enjoy, and um, but it would take some cash to get the you know to get it started. Um, so yeah, I would say it, I would say that Indiegogo is a way to go. I mean, they they fund art projects, they fund uh-huh. statues of the Terminator. I mean, they fund just about anything. So if this you can tell that compelling story, mm-hmm. independent of being able to give anyone a tangible reward, you would be able to try no, to raise no, those in the, funds. In the in the Indiegogo case, uh, you can you can. Get a certain amount of money, and if you don't reach the goal, the goal, you uh-huh. can still get the money. Right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, there's different. They take different percentages. Yeah. If you don't make the goal, and if you do make the goal, but that's right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so some of the money, the money might have to go back if it was a failure. You're saying? Uh, no, they no, they no, just no. take a le- uh, different percentage. I oh, think. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what, gentlemen? I, I wish I could tell you what it is. It's really kind of a. If it's something really crazy in the sky in a few years, it's me. All right, um, we'll, we'll watch. We'll John, watch for we'll it. be keeping an eye out for you, and uh, if you are ready to tell us, you can give us a call back later. But thanks for giving us a call at the uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, well, so you know, uh, as far as um, uh, projects go, uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, the things that you have currently. And and uh, Lawrence, I was watching your video, and I thought, uh, yeah, this is great. I mean, you have your partner. Your partner's out in Germany, and and now you've got the. In fact, yours is pretty impressive because I mean I'm already impressed that Mike's already got his hundred eleven thousand dollars, but you've got forty three more days and you're already at a hundred thousand dollars. And I think you were what were you asking for? What was your goal? Forty thousand. Yeah. So I think if there's any testament to you know how hard he worked with that first one, as much as there were bumps along the road, I mean I remember the relief when he posted the picture of the juicies boxes in an airplane at Honolulu International Airport. Mm-hmm. I could feel that, um, and. I think it's a testimony that the community has come back and funded you to 131,000 mm-hmm. already asking for 40,000. So tell us about what is Juicy's plus? It's not more colors, is it? That's the whole point. No, it's not. So the plus stands more in the sense of quality uh-huh. and design. So um we wanted to stick with the same thing that we did before since we knew what we were doing. However, we were using our cables and other manufacturers cables for what 3 years now. And, you know, been using them a lot. Like, we have a bunch of phones and tablets at home and in the office. And so the one thing that always um, struck out with us was that these really nice headphones, like Beats per Dre or other headphones and also audio cords that are usually used, like when you're like, in a concert or something, they have these really nice woven, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. cords. And they usually have these, like, really high-end-looking metal connectors. And... um you know, between like my what six hundred dollar iPad and two thousand dollar MacBook, and then I have this little cable over there, and I'm wondering Plastic. like, hmm. So that's kind of where the idea initially came from by wanting to build something that we wanted to have. And you know, taking that further, we realized that there was a lot of people having issues with their 
you know original cables that would chip with the with the devices. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we decided to you know come up with the cable that would really be like the ultimate cable. Yeah, like so something these that's are really perfect. these are uh, anodized aluminum tangle yeah, they're free. They're beautiful. I mean, I got to tell you, my I got to get one. My cats love to chew on the original Apple cable, so I can definitely see the appeal of going with uh, anodized aluminum. Yeah, you know, and, and my Apple cables have been breaking, so I need something of more quality. We want to go to a couple of call- callers. We got Lardis from uh, Salt Lake. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to ask Mike, uh, Mike, when you approached the Kickstarter guys, uh, did you already have a business plan set up, and did you get professional help putting it together? I have other questions, uh, like uh, did you have your item patented first? Ah, okay, those are good questions. Um, so business plan, we do, uh, so we have uh, some spreadsheets and stuff that we that we generate um, to deal with costs, structures, and stuff like that. Um, the first project, not so much of a business plan. We were heavy on the marketing, um, but moving forward. Um, we definitely, you know, are doing some. Like Lawrence was saying, he made a really good point. As much work as you can prior to launching the project. You know, what if I have an issue? What if I need to go around this manufacturer and make changes to get the product fulfilled? Um, who am I going to contact when the project goes live so that I can start to get some of the media to pick up on it? Mm-hmm. Do you have a list of people that you think you would target? So that would be kind of where I would start with it. Well, how did you do it? Did you do it by yourself, or um, did you uh, hire some marketing uh, group to help you with it? Um, I, I the first project we did hire um, a friend. It wasn't really an official hire. We had him help, and we cut him in on the action. Um, but since then, he's been busy, and I've been doing it myself, basically. And we we generated a lot of contacts, and every project we generate more contacts. And so you get kind of a focused list on who you really need to, to contact to get it up and going. And the last question um, was, uh, did you patent this awesome or these awesome things? Yeah, pat, uh, patent conversation is going to be a long conversation here. No, oh, we don't have any patents on any of it. Um, I, I think patents are a little overrated, but that's that's a pretty long conversation. Yeah. I don't think it's ne- <laughs> I don't think it's a necessary thing for these projects. Um, if someone wants to take your idea, I think they'll probably do it. And I don't have enough money to defend any of my ideas. Right. So. <laughs> now, of course, if the uh, if the um, project's already closed and I want one of those uh, fancy carabiners, I mean, can I still come That's right. In? We, we, um, we've been working on ti2design.com. Um, so it's like up today, kind of. Uh, we're working out some shipping <laughs> issues. It's been a long time in the works, but it's it's real close. In the next week, you can go on there and start ordering this stuff. The the carabiners will be a pre-order, and we'll do our best to get them in with a Kickstarter manufacturing run and get them out to you before Christmas. Um, I still think we have enough room to do that for a lot of folks. So, well, we want to um, also uh, introduce uh, Justin to Bite Marsh Cafe. Welcome to the show. He's from Aleva Heights. Hi there. Hi. Uh, I have a question, sure. uh, probably for Lawrence. And if you were looking to do, let's say, plastic injection molding uh, for a high volume product, uh, but you don't have experience in the industry and you're interested in perhaps production overseas or in the U.S., how do you recommend kind of going about uh, getting a feel for different uh, producers uh, or production companies that are out there? Great question. That's a good question. Um, that's exactly what I did about two years ago. Um, I'd say you start by researching online. There's definitely companies in the U.S. where you can do your initial samples with. Um, if you're talking about plastics, you can, of course, start with 3D prototyping, just 3D printing. 
um, and then you know from there once you're actually happy with what you want you then take that over to you know one of the manufacturers where you can actually hold the physical object versus just a 3d rendering or a cat file and um, you know once you have that like a final cat file and, and a 3d rendering and like a printed product where you actually feel like this is what I want it's usually not too hard to um, find a good manufacturer either in the US or overseas um, once you do do that, once you get to that step of actually determining which one of, let's say, uh, half a dozen or a dozen of manufacturers that you determined are you know, somewhat worthwhile spending your time with, I would definitely recommend flying over there and meeting with them in person. Uh, that's something that well, we kind of made a mistake, and now we are doing well, it the other way around. I wanted to ask a question to Lawrence. Um, so who do you use for the 3D printing? We use a company out of California, and then we also use a company out of Taiwan. Like our, our company in Taiwan, we work with right now. They got their own. Uh, stuff, he's keeping so. the cards close, huh? Well, and we recently right. had a we recently had a Kickstarter program that we featured the Snap Zoom, a lens for uh, your iPhone or whatever to attach it to a binoculars, and they had the idea, but they went to a local company to test the uh, to test the prototype, to build the prototype, design it, and have something in hand. So there are local resources that can help you as well. Yeah, there's actually a, a couple people doing it right here in Honolulu to do 3D printing. And I believe that also the Manoa Innovation Center is looking into getting a high-end 3D printer or already has a high-end 3D mm-hmm. printer. So that's something you could also contact. Um, and if they don't have it set up yet, I know for a fact that they also have a list of at least uh, two or three people that they can you know, set you in contact with. Well, you them. know, and, and you had brought up that uh, you, you considered manufacturers in Taiwan and China. And, you know, whenever I think about trying to do a manufacturing in China, to me, I mean, that's a huge unknown. And how did you whittle that down to selecting you know, your vendor of choice? Um, for us, it was really scary in the beginning. Uh-huh. And then we actually um, figured out how to c- get a list of um, certified contract manufacturers that are somewhat recommended by Apple. It's not that they officially get their stamp on it. But they have business with Apple, for it's, example. Well, it's basically it's companies that order the certified connectors from Apple's mm. plant. Mm-hmm. So basically... Mm-hmm. Um, those you know manufacturers already have a certification and a legal contract with them, and therefore it, it makes it easy for us knowing that you know if they work with this large company, it should be a little bit easier, and at least we know they have certified connectors. So, and so that's yeah. what we started. We had like you know more than a hundred manufacturers in the beginning, and we had like all of a sudden we had like maybe like fifteen, right? Mm-hmm. And then from there we basically started off with like any other product with RFPs and phone calls and emails. and So that's a good question, a lot of good advice. I would also add that the local maker movement can also probably help you quite a bit when you're talking about 3D printing or rapid prototyping. Mm-hmm. So uh, both of you, Lawrence, uh, give us a quick, uh, where do we find your Kickstarter? Well, um, all of you guys listening right now, you should definitely go to kickstarter.com. Just search for Juicies or simply search for Honolulu. Go uh-huh. by Discovery and go Honolulu, and you'll uh, usually see our project uh, as being one of the first ones in the Honolulu section. And actually, as of recent, you, our project is also um, always one of the first projects in the design section. So if you just go on Kickstarter, you click on Discovery and Design, Product Design, or Simply Design, our product is usually one of the top five or mm-hmm. top six mm-hmm. products. And, and Mike? Uh, so we're at TA2Design.com. That's our uh, website. It's going to be um, officially live probably next week sometime. But it, you can go check it on updates. And then uh, real quick, if you go in and search my name, Mike Bond, on Kickstarter, um, you can see all the projects that we've done. And the later projects, if you go and look at our updates, we allow everyone to see those. We're public with our updates. Mm-hmm. So you can see the manufacturing, how it's made, process. We try to make it as interesting as possible. Very Fantastic. cool. Lawrence Lauderwitz uh, created Juicies, and Mike Bond created the Titanium Parabiner. And both are Kickstarter veterans. Thank you both for joining us today. 
Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. It was great having you guys here in the studio. It was awesome seeing you. And uh, yeah, you guys out there, don't forget to get the Golden Juices Plus cable. <laughs> okay. They're always pitching. <laughs> and thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll get an update on the constant threat of sea level rise. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And of course, if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovic. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band from Sweden called Yast and their self-titled song called Yast. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.